Rise and shine, baseball fans! It's time once again for a fresh dose of Major League Baseball analysis with the newest community in the game. Bringing together fans from all around the world from their broadcast headquarters in beautiful Southern California, it's Kenny. If what happened this week is any indication, I think we are in for one of the most wild and extravagant off-seasons maybe in baseball history. It's Nika. And you can see his impact already on the younger generations of kids. They all say, I want to be like Shohei. I want to do two-way baseball the way Shohei does. This is the Kanika Baseball Podcast. Yes, indeed, it is once again time for the Kanika Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Kenny, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host and my beautiful wife, Nika. Good morning, Nika. Good morning, Kenny. It is once again Friday, although there's really no uh, timetable on these off-season podcasts. Although, we did get bitten by the breaking news bug last week uh as soon as we finished recording our podcast last week we literally got a tweet notification that i'm always going to call it tweets by the way we literally got the notification that josh Hader had signed with the astros i believe it's five years 95 million dollars for josh Hader. so congratulations on becoming the highest paid closer in major league baseball history And the Astros, so the Astros, yeah, Astros, not not letting the Rangers just uh, run wild in the West. Yeah, well, they are under new management, so they are rebranding. How do you think uh, Julio Rodriguez feels about Josh Hader being the closer in his division now? It's a challenge. It's it's, it's, it's funny how these signings can maybe impact other players' entire careers. It, it's just fun to think about. He yeah. could have signed with uh, the Braves or with with the Cubs and they would face each other like three twice. times a year twice maybe. twice maybe and now it's gonna be like you know a lot more a lot more often and and, yeah. and over multiple seasons it's it's an exponential add up he still has the numbers to back up that of being really really good it's just I think you you knock him more for what he wouldn't wouldn't do last year which is like pitch the eighth inning or or pitch more than one inning I guess I understand where he comes from. He doesn't want his arm to get cold by waiting to the next inning and then coming again. Yeah. So I do understand that. You You're take- leaving one thing out. And Josh Hader also was in a contract year last year. And True. he didn't want to do anything outside of his normal routine that might cause his arm to get hurt That's in true. a contract year. He wanted this payday and he got it. Okay. So. I think a lot of these questions came up in the press conference and it was just interesting to hear him kind of like be like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for the team and I'm going to do whatever it takes for the team. Well, so. we see. Good luck, Astros. All right. Well, we have a great show for everyone today. It is Friday, as I said, and the Hall of Fame votes are in. So we have a new class of 2024 to break down for everybody. The Cubs remain the favorite on the uh, off-season market to land Cody Bellinger, according to all the establishment talking heads that are on uh, the national networks. I just don't see it making sense. So we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit more, like why I don't see it making sense. There's like kind of a, a weird list of remaining free agents. There's really four impact players that are kind of on the board, in my opinion, right now. And then there's like kind of a lower tier below that. And in a league where you're probably as strong as your weakest link, that that can be important, maybe more so than the guys up 
at the top of it. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to look at this interesting list of like kind of free agents that are remaining on the board, both hitters and pitchers. And then later, we actually have our inaugural guest for the Kanika Baseball Podcast. And we are excited to welcome Brandon Steiner, who's in the sports collectibles world. And he has recently acquired Starstock.com, which is a new sports card platform, if you will. I don't want to get too much into it because I want to let him explain about it. But I took a look around the website a little bit as uh, as a card collector. And, and I'm not a huge heavy-duty uh, hitter over here by any means. I don't have the seven-figure slabs in my vault, but I like to dabble and and have some fun with it. So we are excited to talk to Brandon about this new website and uh, starstock.com. All right, Nika. Well, we've got a new Hall of Fame class this year. We do. Class of 2024. Class of 2024, and we have three new inductees into baseball's Hall of Fame. And if you haven't heard by now, two of them are first ballot Hall of Famers. So we have to give a big Kanika Baseball Podcast congratulations to Joe Maurer of the Minnesota Twins. We also have Adrian Beltre, first ballot Hall of Famer. He was a third baseman. I remember him mostly from the Rangers and from the Mariners, but he did play for a couple other teams in there. And Todd Helton is number three, not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, nevertheless, he is joining Joe and Adrian in the class of 2024. Congratulations to Todd Helton of the Colorado Rockies for his entire 17 season career. So I wanted to kind of take a look at some of these numbers for these three guys and just offer up some thoughts and opinions on on whether or not uh, they're deserving, so to speak. The first one I want to mention is Joe Maurer. So obviously we talked about Joe Maurer. Um, now, Joe Maurer is always an interesting case because he's a catcher. And, and catchers obviously have a it's, – it's a hard position to find outstanding – offensive skilled players i guess well they're great catchers i think they just don't stay catchers for that long they move yeah and and you bring up a good point joe mauer here had 15 seasons under his career like wow. not necessarily the longest but he was he was done playing i remember joe mauer coming up everyone talked about him he was a left-handed hitting catcher you know oh, it was wow. like such a really rare thing because mm -hmm. i don't think he he didn't throw left-handed but he, you can see uh as a catcher he finished with a career batting average of 306 for his entire career he hit 300. that's pretty um, good very high i did some digging here he was 21 i'm sorry 2123 hits in 6930 at bats he had a 388 on base percentage a 439 slugging so he didn't hit the tar out of the ball as far as home runs go. And we'll get into that in a minute. He had an 827 on-base plus slugging. So his on-base plus slugging, little under 900. I think a lot of the more known power hitters are are kind of always over 900. We'll talk about that more in a second. Joe Maurer, 143 career home runs, 923 RBIs, 1,018 runs scored. Six-time All-Star one MVP award, five silver sluggers, and three gold gloves. He was also a three times batting title winner. So he had the highest batting average of everyone. Do you know how many teams he played for? Just one. Oh, wow. The Twins, Minnesota Twins. So he stayed whole career with the Twins. All 15 seasons. 
He was right. a catcher, and I'm guessing he DH'd probably maybe as That's an American point. leaguer and, and maybe towards the end. But he finishes with a career war of 55.2, which is this big benchmark, I guess, people use these days. And yeah, quite a great career, but short-lived as well. You know, like he doesn't have the sexy eye-popping numbers, 143 home runs. I don't think you could get into the Hall of Fame at any other position with that many home runs other than catcher. Unless you were Tony Gwynn and you were like a lifetime 400 hitter. And the other thing is, I didn't check his doubles. I, I wish I would have because doubles are extra base hits and often they can score multiple runs. And then you also get the added benefit of having another guy on base to keep the disruption going. Sure. So I don't want to, I shouldn't discount doubles. And maybe in the future, I'll look more of that stuff up when I do these breakdowns. But yeah, 15 seasons, Joe Maurer. First ballot Hall of Famer. I think a lot of people saw this coming, so. Congratulations to Congratulations Joe. Congratulations to Joe. Who is the uh, next guy? Next up, we're going to look at Adrian Beltre's career. He played for 21 seasons as a wow. third baseman. Um, How many teams? I think four when I okay. looked it up. Adrian Beltre came up with the Dodgers, actually. He played with the Dodgers for the first seven years of his career, and then he switched to the Seattle Mariners. He played for the Mariners for five years and then uh, went to Boston for one season before finishing up with Texas uh, for eight seasons. So he spent 14 years in the American League and seven years in the National League. Okay. Adrian Beltre is a Hall of Famer. He's a four-time All-Star, a five-times Gold Glove winner, a four-times Silver Slugger winner, and two-times Platinum Glove winner, which means not only was he a Gold Glover, he was also considered the best gold glover of those two seasons in his league. Impressive. Most impressive. Adrian Beltre had a lifetime batting average of 286. He was 3,166 hits out of 11,068 at-bats. So quite a few more at-bats than Joe Maurer when you look at it. Almost uh, 4,000, more than 4,000 more at-bats. Well, he also played a little longer. Yes. He finishes with a 339 on base percentage, 480 slugging, and an 819 on base plus slugging. I thought it was interesting that his on base plus slugging was lower than Joe Maurer's. So you, you can kind of see like Joe Maurer had a low slugging, but he got on base more. Whereas like Adrian Beltre didn't get on base as much, but he had a higher slugging. So they kind of have flip-flop numbers there. But Adrian Beltre finishes with 477 career home runs, 23 shy of 500, 1,707 RBIs, 1,524 runs scored, and 121 stolen bases. I, I wrote it down. It's nothing to brag about. That's in 21 seasons, by the way. So yeah. you can you can do the math on the breakdown on that one. Not the fastest guy. No, um, but he stay around, and I'm sure he was yeah. a serviceable player. A, a few things stick out, like the longevity, the 3,166 hits. He's a member of the 3,000 Hit Club, which is a very... I mean, it's it's almost like a guaranteed hand-stamped ticket to Cooperstown mm -hmm. if you get 3,000 hits. The gold gloves and the, the two times gold gloves, plus the four silver sluggers, he was the dominant player at his position over a period of time. That's what that speaks to. Yes. So congratulations to Adrian Beltre, first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. All right. And not to take anything away from Todd Helton, though, who was not a first ballot Hall of Famer, though... I'm kind of left scratching my head looking at his numbers. Todd Helton had an amazing career. 
and he played 17 seasons for the Rockies, and I think he's getting a little bit of punishment for playing in Colorado. Well, I just look at his numbers, and it's like, if the other two guys are first ballot Hall of Famers, why wasn't Todd Helton, in a sense? And, and by the way, go look at the 2000 season MVP voting and tell me how the hell Todd Helton finished fifth when he should have won the MVP that year. I, I get it that the Giants were probably really good and they had Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds and like they were these feared guys, but like when you when you put his numbers up against theirs that season and it's just just look go look at it and tell me how you just look at it and make a black and white argument with the numbers. It's again, I think it's the Colorado team that mainstream media or mainstream MLB doesn't recognize as a big market. And so and they look at it as like a cheater stadium sometimes with the thin air and whatnot. I just think now that we've had 30 years plus of statistical data, it just doesn't hold up under yeah. scrutiny. That's the same thing as they say, oh, cold weather and football. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. All right. Well, we should talk about Todd Helton really quick. He finishes uh, 17 seasons with a 316 batting average. So out of everyone we talked about, Todd Helton had the highest career batting average. He had 2,519 hits in 7,962 at-bats. That was good enough for a 414 on-base percentage. So he had a really high on-base as well. Um, and then his slugging percentage was 539. Uh, so a really high slugging percentage here. And that all adds up to a 953 on-base plus slugging. I mean... Anything over 900 in, in like a stretch or in a even a, you can make a season is considered to be really good. So the fact that he had a career of a 900, I mean, yeah, that's a Hall of Famer. Must be the thin air. Must be that thin air. Um, all right. Well, that thin air contributed to 369 career home runs, 1,406 RBIs, 1,401 runs scored, and 37 stolen bases. So definitely not a fast uh, tool in the shed. But that was all good enough to be a five-time All-Star, a four-time Silver Slugger Award winner, a three-times Gold Glove Award winner, and one-times batting title champion, which was, I, I, I guess it was probably in that season. I think he had a 372 batting average in 2000. Wow. 372. That's pretty impressive. I mean, you know, we were look at how much notoriety Arise got yeah. at the All-Star break this year. And and I think, granted, he was still hitting in the 380s at that point, but it was he did not finish the season at 372. Anyways... So congratulations to Todd Helton. Well-deserved, in my opinion, and probably should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. But there's over 400 of these baseball writers that vote for these Hall of Famers. And, uh, well, if you really want to know how crappy it can be, just go ask Billy Wagner how he's feeling today because he probably should have also been a part of this class. Mm -hmm. But he fell five votes short out of the necessary percentage threshold needed. He so can be voted on again next year. The he is year. in his final year of eligibility last year. He would be, well, one of the, I think the first closer to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. True closer, like mm -hmm. just coming in for the ninth. I got to look up Eckersley. I, I feel like he's in the Hall of Fame, but Dennis the Eck, of course, from the Oakland A's, but he was a journeyman as well. He pitched from 1975 to 1998, 24 years in the bigs. He he definitely made the rounds. He, he made a couple tours of duty with Oakland. I'm sorry, with Boston. He had a long run with Oakland, though. He was their, their closer for nine seasons. He won the Cy Young Award and the MVP as a, cl as a closer. As a closer. 
Yeah. If you look, and that was in uh, 1992, by the way. He was he got 51 saves that year. He pitched 80 innings. It looks like his ERA was 1.91, if I'm reading this correctly. Yeah. ERA was 1.91, so he had an under 2 ERA that season as a closer, which is really good. And his whip, his walks and hits per innings pitched, was under 1. He was giving up less than a hit and or a walk. He was giving up less than a base runner an inning oh, for the season. And he didn't get voted voted in this year. Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. He is in the Hall of Fame. Oh. I was checking to see if he oh, was in were, the Hall okay. of Fame. He is Everybody. in the Hall of Fame. I thought we were talking about the guy that didn't make it in. No, I, I couldn't remember him winning the MVP award as a relief pitcher. That's almost unheard of. He had a long career, though. He was a starter at points. He was a closer. He was all over the place, man. So he, he was a cool pitcher. 24 seasons. Well, I just wanted to make sure he was in the Hall of Fame. I was almost positive. And then when I saw that he won an MVP, I was like, oh, yeah, he has to be. But, yeah, really good player. MVP, Cy Young Award winner, won a World Series in 1989, was the ALCS MVP. So he was the Championship Series MVP. And he's in the Hall of Fame, six-time All-Star. So, well, All right, well, we just talked about Dennis Eckersley for no reason for a long time. It is time to move on to the free agent list. Now we are free. And, uh, well, I wanted to kind of kick off a, a quick five-minute conversation here. According to all the MLB establishment heads, the Cubs, our Chicago Cubs, are still the favorites to sign Cody Bellinger. There seems to be a bit of a price discrepancy that their Cubs are waiting for the price tag to drop a little bit. Oh, is Cody Bellinger going on sale? He's going to have to put himself on sale, I guess, if he wants to play somewhere. We'll see how long the, the standoff lasts. <laughs> Exact. And Cody Bellinger's not the only one. It looks like uh, Blake Schnell, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman are also having uh, standoffs with uh, any teams they've been negotiating with because they remain the sort of upper echelon unsigned free agents as we get. We're, we're less than like two weeks away now from when pitchers and catchers are going to start reporting to spring trading. And they, all four of these guys, the one. No, 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 but they are represented by Boris. Agents. But. Back to the Cubs and Bellinger for just yeah. one second. I, I just want to get this out there and say I, I'm I'm really confused by this reporting because to me, Cody Bellinger doesn't make a lot of long-term sense for the Cubs right now. They have Pete Crow Armstrong in center field, who I think they are wanting to be the future of, of you know, I mean, he's yeah. earned the right. He's come up through the system. They don't want to trade him. Anyways, you, you want to keep him in center field. Mm-hmm. And, and you have Seiya Suzuki in right, and you have Ian Happ in left. Right. Seems pretty established and anchored. Yeah, Cody Bellinger just adds to the crowd. Well, the question is, is does Cody Bellinger want to continue playing outfield? Because the Cubs can put him at first base. But my questions are about when the Cubs got Michael Bush in the trade a few weeks ago, they were adamant about that Michael Bush is going to be now the starting first baseman heading into spring training. I don't know if they put that out there to try and get Bellinger to lower his price. Here's the interesting thing about the Cubs. It's two of the names I mentioned, Cody Bellinger and Matt Chapman. Michael Bush right now in the minors, he was the number two prospect in the Dodgers system. But if you look at his numbers, he's got really great numbers. He consistently hit over 900 OPS in AA and in AAA. And if he carries that over as a, like, that could be a really nice player that the Cubs got. You don't know. Right. And 
But the the one thing you don't want to do is hold him back right now. If he's hitting over 900 OPS in AA and AAA, then let him graduate and hit 900 OPS for you instead of letting some other team do it for a change. Let's be the team that embraces the youth. Let's put these veteran players around these young players. I, I don't have a problem with the Cubs signing Cody Bellinger long-term, but that means to me that you got to put Michael Bush then at third base, which he has played in the market. Okay, but then so, you're not signing Matt Chapman. Then you're not signing Matt Chapman. But if you are signing if, if if you look at it and you think well maybe Chapman's better or or we don't have to get tied into as long of a contract you know then you st- keep Michael Bush at first yeah. I, I think the Cubs are going to wind up signing Chapman or Ballinger I don't think it's going to be both I just want to put it out there and say and I, I'm sure they're going to announce right after we get off the air today that this happened but I just want to say that I hope the Cubs don't get pressured into signing Cody Bellinger at, and Chapman at too high of a price because you have Michael Bush there. Like, don't don't feel pressured to do this. That's all I want to say. Be smart. Spend your money smart. They have been so far. I know, but don't be the pressured only, now at the end. The only pressure that's been coming on the Cubs to sign Bellinger was from Densby Swanson. Now that's Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan. Nobody else is talking about Bellinger the way he was. He was the driving force. I I, I just don't know why these conversations like don't start with like, well, where's Bellinger going to play on the Cubs? It doesn't seem like that ever comes up with the national media when they talk about it. It's just, oh, he's going to resign with the Cubs. I'm sorry. Are you guaranteed a job in this league the next year? You can price yourself out of a job, you know? You can absolutely do it in certain situations. Major League Baseball is one of them. Yeah. All right. Well, that's basically what I wanted to say about Cody Bellinger is just don't get pressured. But we have a couple signings that we need to announce. We mentioned at the top of the show that Josh Hader had agreed to that contract with the Astros. Late last night, it kind of broke on my phone that Jock Peterson had agreed to a one-year deal with the Diamondbacks with a mutual option for a second year. So the Diamondbacks not... Laying low, uh, signing taste? Jock the Journeyman, as I'm calling him these days. The Diamond Bags, they tasted the victory last year. I feel like you call them the Diamond Bags. They are the Diamond Bags. Well, they might have a bag full of diamonds, actually. Oh. They, they just have an interesting team that I feel like is going to compete for for a while they're 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 the young and hungry and they didn't reach where they wanted to go last year and i would also say they're well managed snakes in the grass you'd better move fast you'll be poisoned or be strangled to death yes now i think San Diego is also going to want to have something to say about this. I feel like they probably feel embarrassed after last year, and I also feel like they didn't like their manager, and so I'm waiting to see what happens with the new management over there. It'll be interesting. And they also have some young players in their system. They just signed the number one international free agent last week. We talked about that. They already have Ethan Salas, who's the number one international prospect from the year before, and also the number one rated catcher in all of minor league baseball. Left-handed hitting catcher. Who does that remind you of? Joe Maurer, anybody? There you go. Sexy. I like it. So they have this young plethora of talent, and they also have, I think, uh, a roster of players that are embarrassed, that want to do better than they did last year. I hope so. I hope they learned their lesson. The Padres were managed poorly all yeah. year last year, and you nothing has changed that. You cannot put everything on the players, what happened with the Padres. That's for sure. You got to put your players in a position to win. Yeah. And if you watch every game objectively last year, 
I, I didn't see that happening day after day after day. So it's a tough job. No one says it's not. All right. One last signing to announce is uh, our friend with the best name in baseball, Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo. Yes. The name made famous by one of my favorite all-time movies, My Cousin Vinny. Joey Gallo has agreed to a de- deal with the Nationals. So congratulations to Joey Gallo and the Nationals on this new adventure that they're embarking on together. And, and what I'm going to call the quest to hit over 200. All right. As we mentioned, uh, there's kind of four big free agent names out there. Two pitchers, two position players, Blake Schnell and Jordan Montgomery on the pitching side of things and Cody Bellinger and Matt Chapman on the position player side of things. However, there is this kind of lower tier free agent class that I kind of want to talk about for a second. First thing I want to say is pitchers everywhere are just making huge amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And I feel like almost like the, the shorter deal that they get, the higher average salary they get. So we're not going to give you two years at 13 million a year, but we'll give you one. We'll, we'll pay 13 million for you this year. And it's like, Boris has got to be like flipping out. Well, if you're giving this guy 13 million a year, how can you not give Blake 30? Again, you, you, you take a chance on a guy for one year, you pay a little bit more, you're, you're, sure. you're okay with that. But all of a sudden you start giving six years at 30 million away and you're scared about the future. That's a totally different argument. I can understand the argument Boris is probably going to be making on the other side for his clients. You know, Sure, but you also mentioned all these remaining players are old. Yeah, we haven't gotten into the names yet. So it is one thing, though, that we talked about before the show is like when you, when you hear the names on this list, these are not spring chickens here. And it, and it makes sense. But these are players that I think that are on their second round of free agency or or maybe their third. But Clayton Kershaw, he probably signed a big deal with the Dodgers a long time ago that just expired. It was probably his one big contract that he got. And now this is like his second. So he's on the list. Mike Clevenger is on the list. The two of them were like separated by one tenth of a point in war last year. So that's how effective they were considered by the statisticians. They closely by age, too. Yeah. Another not name on that list was Michael Lorenzen. He threw a no-hitter for the Phillies after he got traded there from the Tigers last year. He's now a free agent, but he was like barely a contributing factor on their playoff run. There's something weird going on with that one for me. I, I, I don't know what happened, but I, I feel like he fell out of confidence or something with the coach, or he wasn't a part of their plans because of like weird matchup issues in the playoffs maybe but you know what maybe he should have been because where please end up so well he's out there okay and then as far as position players go brandon belt who's a left-handed hitting first baseman is out there jd martinez who of course had a like kind of a career resurgence last year with the dodgers is out there as a dh but i think there's also a lot of questions like how much is left in the tank he's mm-hmm. 36 the dodgers kind of got a lot out of him last year and obviously they got a dh now Otani. <laughs> so JD yeah. found himself out of a job, even though he probably produced at a really high level for well, some team might pick him up closer to I'm the sure they will. And I'm sure starting. they will. Jorge Soler, World Series MVP Jorge Soler is out there. He is right handed hitting. He can play right field, left field. I'm looking at teams like San Diego. I don't love him because he doesn't hit right he's yeah. right handed, you know, and I feel like Anyone that San Diego brings in right now should be left-handed, but maybe Brandon Belt is a fit at first base. I think there's going to be a flurry of activity before this season starts still. Like, I feel like there's teams that have crowded situations. We we know that the Padres have Cronenworth, Kim. They got to be looking at the future. Jackson Merrill's a shortstop. Xander Bogarts is a shortstop. Manny Machado's at third base. They, They got a lot of pieces there. 
but are they pieces that are going to be on the move? Is Xander going to become a first baseman eventually? Like, they just signed the number one international prospect as a left-handed hitting shortstop. Yeah. A.J. Preller loves his shortstops, huh? Jackson Merrill shortstop. It's getting too crowded. Shortstop. Tatis was a shortstop, but now he's a gold glove, platinum glove right fielder, so i keep him there. Yeah, the, <laughs> um, the Padres definitely need to fill out the outfield more. They lost out. Yeah, the- Carlos Santana's out there. Gary Sanchez, ca- Padres catcher, there's no more room for him. It's it's Luis Campisano time for the Padres, and, and he's a highly touted prospect mm-hmm. as well. And, and he had a thumb injury last year that kind of probably prevented him from being the number one catcher last year. It's his time for sure this year. And as we said, the, the Padres are kind of loaded at catcher right now for the long term. So it left Gary Sanchez without a job, and, and you don't want to pay him to be a DH. No. Tommy Pham is out there. He doesn't do anything for me as a Padre because I think he hates the fans, and the fans probably feel mutually about mutual it some ways. understanding in that field. <laughs> Adam Duvall, right-handed outfielder. So, yeah, there's not a lot of big-name free agents actually left. And, and what many consider to be a kind of boring offseason. I think the one of the reasons why it's been boring is just because it's been so predictable. Otani to the Dodgers, Soto to the Yankees as the, the big free agent signings and the big trade. But yeah, everything else has kind of been more in the predictable phase. I think the big holdups with these last four players are, are because of Scott Boris and and having a stand down with agents and or with teams. and. Well, he's looking for himself. He's looking where or how he can get the biggest payout for his not just the players, for himself. He gets the percentage of every single contract. Well, as we said earlier at the onset of this segment, spring training is right around the corner. Uh, We are five days away as of this recording from February. And then, as we know, after Valentine's Day or thereabouts is when everyone's going to be saying those famous words, pitchers and catchers report. February 13th, voluntary reporting date for other Pitchers and catchers and injured players. Well, I guess the young the young single players will be there on time, and the veterans will have to enjoy Valentine's Day with their wives and then trickle in in their uh, fancy cars afterwards. The mandatory reporting <laughs> is on the 23rd. Okay, so everybody has to be kind of checked in by then. Yep. That's cool. Well, we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll be keeping you up to date on our four teams for sure. The Chicago Cubs, the San Diego Padres, the Seattle Mariners, and, of course, the great experiment in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Come on, man, I've just been doing a little experimentation type thing. And uh, it's showtime in L.A. We're definitely going to follow the great experiment. Well, look, some things were said. We've been unhappy, but I think we're going to continue to watch Otani's career and and see how it progresses. I just feel like if after the next 10 years are over, if the Dodgers win nine championships or something, it's going to feel cheapened almost. It, it, it'll feel like they, they cheated and, yeah. and unlocked the cheat code. And, and whereas like if he wins two and plays in like five World Series, and and but there's competitive teams competing with them, that'll be interesting. The one thing about the Dodgers doing what they did do with all of this money spending and like this deferring and like people kind of like feeling uneasy about that is they've sort of challenged other teams to do it differently. And, and there will be teams that figure it out. The Dodgers are not going to win the next 10 straight World Series championships. I don't think unlikely that would be highly improbable at this. That would that would require so many things to go right and and 
so many people to not get injured ever. Well, they are doing this certain way. Baltimore Orioles have been doing their stuff different ways that other teams are trying to emulate, bringing all the young players early. Absolutely. Having good farm system. Dodgers went the opposite. They went with the money deferral and older players. Well, either way, we will be keeping our eyes on this situation. Yes. And the fact of the matter remains that Otani remains the most popular player in the sport, one of the most popular athletes in the world. And it's hard to do a baseball podcast, period, without wanting to talk about what he does on the field and also some of the awesome things he's done off the field. We will be following. We will be following Otani along with our teams. It doesn't mean I love what happened. Mm -hmm. It just means that we can't stop watching. Well, he's part of a baseball. This is a baseball podcast. So there. Absolutely. I mean, we were talking about this off the air ahead before the show started it, but I think it's worth mentioning here is that he is going to be a part of the fabric of Major League Baseball for the rest of my life, for the rest of your life, for the rest of his life and 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 beyond. He's going to be at every Hall of Fame ceremony one day. He's going to have his own Hall of Fame induction one day. Even for the two seasons he had winning MVP and pitching and hitting what he did, those alone are going to be enough in people's eyes to induct him, even if he only did it for the two, those two years. He did it more than anyone else ever has done it. We'll be following and we see where he ends up. It's He's going to do it again, too. person. He doesn't like his private life to be on the display all the time. But he'll come out in his gold jacket and represent Major League Baseball. Sure. And he'll continue to be a part of the fabric of the game, no doubt. All right, it's time to turn our attentions to the sports cards and sports collectibles world. And we have a, a interview that we recorded with Brandon Steiner that we wanted to share with you now on this podcast. He is the owner of Starstock.com and also the collectible exchange collectibles exchange website. So let's welcome in Brandon now. This is his party. He's the guest of honor. All right. We are happy to welcome in Brandon Steiner. And uh, you are recently the now owner of Starstock.com as well as uh, CollectibleExchanges.com, I believe. Let me get the name of that right, actually. CollectibleExchange.com. That's X change. And so, yeah, Brandon, uh, why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself and your history with sports memorabilia? Well, thank you. Um, I've been in the business for about almost 40 years, which makes me old, but most people know me as Steiner Sports and Obviously, it took a very, you know, hobby. It was 4000 bucks to turn it into kind of a business and an industry. It really set the tone for a lot of the things that are happening now, which I'm very grateful to see the growth and how many more people are involved in collectibles. But also, you know, I'm, you know, now I have Collectible Exchange. That's my new company where people can buy and sell. It's more of a marketplace. But the Steiner Inns, Chef, I've been booking players since 1988, you know, for appearances. And back then, it wasn't that popular. I mean, mm -hmm. it was going to make a living, which is how I got in the memorabilia business, really, because the marketing and the appearance it wasn't what it is now and I had to find another way to add some additional income so I, I'm still booking a lot of you know hundreds of appearances a year finding a lot of different things that you know to help companies grow with the use of athletes the use of collectibles the use of premiums that kind of thing well wow, that sounds interesting so you've been in this business for a really long time what what would you say is your biggest takeaway from sports collectible business in that time period or, or is there any le major lessons that you've learned along the way oh i mean there's no question i mean first of all you don't want to be an advancer you know you always want to be an improver and i think the when i got in the business one of the things that really pushed me in the business is that the business was so sideways it was so screwed up i thought that i was like i'm screwed up to even think you know so i'm gonna fix it 
I'll get it straight. <laughs> we had so much fraudulent in it, and it was just, it was, it was chaos. And I thought that maybe I could bring it to kind of some kind of order. Because I thought people were really into it, they're spending a lot of money, and maybe I could create some kind of order of things. And a lot of it was just about creating collections within the collections around the players. I had a tagline, remember the moment. And I'm still into that. I, I don't think you just want to just get anything signed. You see now more players now having full collections. That's something I started. And also teams having collections and teams having a collectible line. So if you're a big Yankee fan or Red Sox fan or a 49ers fan, you can have a product light around that team, not just sporadically all kinds of stuff. And then getting players to take their stuff seriously, their autograph, their game used, everything else. I think it's probably one of my biggest accomplishments is to get players to realize, hey, your stuff is valuable. Don't just give it away. Your autograph is a, is a commodity. It needs to be nurtured. And you need to be careful what you sign who you sign for. And the stuff needs to be authenticated. So the Steiner name does stand tall. I'm grateful that it's the legacy is still rolling. And I think it'll roll for a long time. I don't know if anybody's going to have the epic run that I've had. Collectible exchange is helping people like myself. And in a lot of cases, it's just people that are just sitting with so much stuff. They don't really have a safe place to sell their stuff. You know, I'm, I partnered up with eBay. So I'm doing an eBay live show where you can go on my show multiple times a week and get great discounts on product. That's my big thing that I want to accomplish. You know, with all the things I've done in the collectible business, one of the things that happened from the start to, you know, over 15, 20 years, the prices kept going up. Money never sleeps, pal. And I, I appreciate that people saw the value in this stuff. And the, and the stuff was worth investing in. But there are a lot of people that I felt like they started icing out, boxing out with the high prices with certain things. And I think this opportunity on eBay Live is going to be able to give people closer to the game, give fans the ability to ask questions, connect with athletes on up and on the show but they give them incredible deals. I'm getting incredibly price sensitive. I'm about, I mean, I'm about quality. We'll still produce some collectibles here, but I'm I'm all about the price. I'm all about trying to find the most incredible deals that I can and, and pass them off to people because I think there's a lot of collectors that they can't afford the $2,000 Brady helmet, but I'm going to find a way for them to get deals that, they, you know, if they stay close and keep an eye on it, they, they've never seen before. That's a great model to get new people into collecting. <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, the other the other part of it is the star stock. Listen, trading cards are real. I was always a trading card collector. I wasn't in necessarily the business, but yeah, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of older and younger people that are in the trading card business, and they've been collecting a lot of cards. And I think that a lot of people have been duped, tricked, scammed. Come on, man! I'm not trying to scam anybody here. Uh, you know, I feel a little bit the same way now as they did back in the 90s on the collectible thing. It's like a lot of one-of-ones, trading card companies taking advantage, a lot of gambling involved with some of this, which shouldn't necessarily be when you get to a certain level of an investment. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I want to bring that forward. I'm, I'm going to get some experts. I'm going to start breaking down the trading card business so that people understand how to participate, not get schemed, careful of some of the pitfalls. You know, this we've had runs of bad trading card, you know, three, four, five years in the early 90s where people bought tons of trading card thinking you're going to get rich and then all they got is a bunch of firewood. I don't want to have it happen again. I might be one of those. It's, hap it's happening again and it's really bothersome to me. Like, I'm not saying that everything you've ever bought from me with a old company or a collectible machine is just going to go up a gazillion dollars in value. But rarely will you see people say, you know, I bought this thing from Steiner and it really was not worth much. Then I, I, it's, you know, I always try to do a good quality product with good value. And then on a bunch of it, it did go up a lot in value, but a lot more of it maybe stayed the same or maybe went down a little. But when I see somebody spend like 25000 on a trading card that's not worth like 2000 that's just not cool. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not down on that. Like that, no, 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 no.
and, and I'm, I'm not saying this is an exception. I'm telling you this is happening all over the place because people think you're getting something really, really special, and it's not. And uh, I'm going to break it down. I mean, eBay's given me a great opportunity on their eBay Live platform. I'm going to be interviewing a lot of players. The first show that I'm doing to launch is the third and fourth. Okay. Uh, I'll be interviewing 15 Yankee players on that Saturday and Sunday from Mariano, Aaron Boone, you name it. Nice. At the same time, a lot of value prop. You can pre-order stuff if you want on my eBay store now. But I just think that I'm going to, that would be the kickoff. And then I'm going to get into it. And, uh, you know, I've always done it. Like my whole thing is I've, I've always been about, you know, coming out and telling the truth and more importantly, explaining things to people. But to answer your question you first asked me, and that is the good news is that when I mention collectibles and I talk about these things, I'm not talking about a foreign language anymore. I used to walk in a room and talk about collectibles. People look at me like a deer and I'd like, what the hell is he talking about? It's a little more of an accepted ho uh, hobby slash industry now. People know a lot more about it. I'd like to sing out a little part of it. I've done a ton of communication, interviews, promotion, marketing for almost 35 years and plus. To, to do that, you know, to get people comfortable with this crazy little category. So now, uh, you know, I'm just going to continue and, 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 and hopefully, you know, people can, can flourish in this category. There's a lot of kids in this business now. Yeah. It's really exciting. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about 15 year olds, six year olds with cash suitcases. And <laughs> I love that, you know, but I don't want them to get scammed. I don't want them to get fooled. And then Mm -hmm. I want this down with them. They grow up and build the business even bigger. Yeah. yeah. I've seen a couple of those kids at shows, you know, they have their, uh, their cases with them and they got more slabs than I do. And I'm a working man. <laughs> so I wanted you to briefly talk about starstock.com a little bit because I went on there yesterday and, uh, I made an account mm -hmm. and I guess I wanted to ask you why as a sports card fan, I should care about starstock.com i see some value in it but i wanted to have you explain it well i mean i would say two things one is that i'm just i'm not i'm not an expert yet on that site even though i did buy it i'm an immigrant i'm a, I'm a, I'm a training card marketplace immigrant I, i'm learning I, i'm going into the thing more with i want to learn see what customers and what trading card collectors really want as opposed to kind of will my what i think i should do so i wanted this preface by saying that I'm, I'm really taking a lot of the customer feedback that i'm getting online everything trying to see when I want to put in play and I don't make it work. This was a really, really good site and had a lot of popularity for a while. And then it kind of fell off. It fell off the table. Listen, I think there's a lot of people with a lot of training cards. I don't know if they want to be going to the mailbox every other day. So having a vault and having the ability to go on, on, on a site like ours and be able to adjust prices. The thing we're handing on right away is the white glove service. Because I think there's a lot of older people that sit with a lot of cards and don't know what they got because they've been passed down. You can send the cards to us and we not only will help you evaluate them, get them graded if need be, or tell you where not to get graded. And this is kind of the rub and where I hope I could be the most valuable is somebody sitting with like a whole bunch of cards that their father or their brother left them. And the, the, the grading companies, you know, they're not, they're not helping you. I mean, they don't give a shit about the overall growth. Is what they're, so you got a card that may be worth a hundred dollars, could be worth two, could be worth 50, but yet the grading company wants their money. The grading card used to be 25 bucks. You grade your card, a little plastic thing. I mean, now they want $50, $100, and people are confused. They don't know. Do you get the card graded? You could be weighing out a lot of money and then maybe losing money. So we're going to start taking raw cards on Star Stock. I think it's important to get that kind of trade going on. I don't think the end-all should be having a – I mean, when I was a kid, we didn't have anything graded. Like, I don't think the end-all should be graded cards. I think, you know, there's an upper echelon of cards that maybe gets graded. I get that, and I'm happy to support it. And – and put it in the ball. But I'm going to let people trade and buy and sell raw cards, which is one of my first steps at Star Stock. 
But the most important step, which I'm, I'm finding every day people reach out, they've got these collections that need help to decide what to grade, what not to grade, what do they have? And then helping them give some semblance of what the value is, not exact, but at least they have an idea. And then they can decide they want to keep it raw, they want to sell it, they want to hold it. You know, this card's not worth a lot, but it ends up being worth something down the road. This is a card you just put away, see what happens. So, and then, you know, also just tell the people that they've been scammed. You know, you just bought a bunch of cards because it looked like it was sexy, but there's 15 other one of ones in the same player scene here. No, I know. So we're going to do a lot of things. And then the last answer to your question is, I think there, for years, I, I have like four or 5,000 autographed trading cards. I have issues. I always love my card signed. And for years, that was not the way to go. So I'm going back, you know, 15, 20 years, always get my card signed. And people are like, you're crazy, Brandon. You're rooting the car, whatever. I said, I don't care. I like my autographed card. And then, you know, I used to do deals with the card companies. And I have my players that I work with sign them. And then all of a sudden the virus happened. Like, I looked like a jeez. Everybody's like, oh, you got to get the card signed. And I think it's more of a split uh, audience. Some people like them, some people don't. But one of the things we're going to be doing on Starspack, a lot of it offering, but even starting with the Yankee show next week, offering incredible deals to get your card signed. So if you have cards, you want to get them signed, you can send them in. And every time I interview players, I'm always going to have a special on a trading card that the, when the player's in the studio, whatever he is, and, and he or she's going to sign some cards. So my goal is just do a lot more virtual card signings on on, tra- on the actual trading cards. I want to get the women training cards going. Like, mm-hmm. why, are, where, why are girls collecting more women athletes? We have a bunch of women that are on our site, you know, the collective, which has done well, Brass, Stuart, Sue Bird, Megara Pino, uh, Nancy Lieberman, the great. And I want to get their cards going. Like, I think women trading cards should be bigger, should be more popular. Just like when I was a kid, I was in the trading cards. There's enough great women that are in sports now that are worth investing in. And for a young lady to start investing and putting together her trading card set based on her role models and some of her great athletes. So I'm kind of a big fan of that. That's a bigger hurdle. We have a big okay, prediction, okay. by the way. We have a big prediction that there's going to be a female pitcher in Major League Baseball before we die. And, and I have a high, I have a high feeling that she will be Japanese born. I think it's possible. I think it's also possible we may see a female place kicker or punter, yeah. maybe even. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think the rub for me. I mean, obviously I'm a guy, but so uh, but you know I don't think the rub for me is that women should be messing around in the men's game or blah blah. I think that people should start respecting the women's game for what it is, which is incredibly a high-skilled, high-quality game that's worth not only watching but investing in. I, I, I have no problem. I don't watch a woman's game, whether it be a softball game or a basketball game, thinking I'm going to all of a sudden see some woman do LeBron stuff yeah, or Magic or Michael Jordan stuff. But I, I'm happy with what I see. I love the way the game is played. It's highly skilled. These women are not just flopping around. I love a, a good woman's tennis match. I mean, probably more than a men's tennis match. So I relate I relate to sports that the women are playing. It just seems a little more real to me as well. Like I, I can never see what the hell some of these basketball players are even doing. You know, the physicality, whatever. But the women's game, at least, is somewhat relatable. And it's extremely, the games are extremely well played. In my, from my view, I watch a good women's basketball game uh, over a men's game these days, frankly. That's interesting. I want to, I just wish more women would say that. My wife sees me watching a women's game. She's like, you know, what do, what do you do? Are you that bored? I'm like, no, you enjoy it. You see this woman dropping dimes. I mean, but but you know, but there is there's still a lot of women that are still not really huge fans of women yet in sports. They'd rather watch men sports. But I think in the next five or six years, we're gonna see a dramatic change. A change gonna come. Oh yes, it will.
I agree. Be good. It'll be good. It should be watched. Brandon, can you talk about what's going on with Fanatics and Tops a little bit? And but as I'm listening to you talk and, and as someone that follows that side of the business, I almost feel like you're acting as a bit of a counter punch to that sale in a way by trying to help people. I don't, I don't follow what Ruben does. You know, we, we, we didn't really, we, we all, well, I, you know, where the Steiner thing, where the DA wasn't really great. And I don't really follow what he does. I mean, I, I love Steiner, what I built. Mm-hmm. To me, like when I, when I'm not under is I'm not under pressure to do things that I don't want to do. And I'm certainly not under pressure to guarantee, so I have to go produce more product than I need to. When I look at some of the deals like Tops and some of these other deals that the leagues are pressing these companies to do, I see more volume. I mean, listen, the name of the game is business. You want to make as much as you can, produce as much as you can, profit as much as you can. Here's the whole messed up thing about collect. That's not, you can't do that with collectibles. The objective with collectibles is to really try to understand the supply and demand and really produce not enough and really not be afraid to shut it down, even though there's a little more demand there, because that's what makes it collectible. It's mm-hmm. hard to get. You've shorted the market. That's what makes it exciting. If not, you have a common commodity. And what ends up happening, which you remember back in the 90s, is that when you get on this run, people are excited about something, and then you just keep printing. No, stop printing. You make people fight for what they got to go get. We should just start producing this limited edition Mercedes. And you, anybody can get it. There's a reason why people get those Lamborghinis, but you can only get 200 a year. People mm-hmm. are spending 300 grand on them. Well, you know why? Because only 200 people can get them. And I got it, and you don't. That's how collectibles work. Not anybody can get it if you have the money. And I think what that, and that gives you the opportunity also for a secondary market and for prices to go up. So my goal when I'm creating collectibles or I'm guiding people is based on the demand and supply. And shorting the supply. So, you know, my, my knock is when you get into this big level of business, and I've been there with my old company, is you get a gun in your head. You're trying to get guarantees. You're paying big name players to sign. Like, you buy a Tom Brady home, $3,000. What's the chances that that helmet's going up in value? He ain't Michael Jordan. I love Tom Brady. But if you mention Tom in the street corner of Japan, they're not going to know who you're talking about. If you mention Tom at Hungary, they're not going to know who you're talking about. Now, if you mention Michael. They will. Well, magic in a street corner of South Africa, Germany, you know who we're talking yep. about. So people think that Tom Brady is going to be Jordan. No, he's an anomaly. So people are spending $3,000 on a helmet or $1,500 on a Joe Montana football, but they don't release the fact that he signed over 250,000 autographs. And the chance of your Joe Montana football or Tom Brady helmet at all, even maintaining value, let alone going up are almost impossible. You know, from by one class that I got a decent grade in, which was, you know, economics, macro and micro, I mean, thank God I actually went to class. But I mean, you know, these are things that really matter in business. And then they, then all of a sudden when people see those kinds of things not come together, they lose state. And then the business, the industry takes a year. And, and, you know, I think that when you're leading, and, you know, I did that for quite a while, uh, my old company, Steiner, and, and I tried to become a leader here in this new category. You have to take responsibility to make the business that you're in better. You got to do more. You got, you have to be able to be interested in doing more for others and sometimes just yourself. I'm not saying I quite see that with, I have to be honest with you. I don't know exactly what they're doing to help the hobby, to help hobby stores, to help actually collectors other than significantly raise the prices. Obviously, they're dominating with a lot of their big names and dominating with a lot of different companies that they've obtained. But giving people product that's of high quality that can potentially go up in value is important in leadership in the collectible business. 
Now, let's see, time will tell, but we know the guarantees are really, really high on some of these things that they're doing and the amount of quantity that they're putting out there is really, really high. And I, I just don't want to see it the other side of it, you know, four or five years down the road where people feel like they did. What was I think? Well, what did I do? You don't feel that way with Upper Deck. All their stuff's going up in value. Everything. You go get an Upper Deck piece in 10, 15 years ago, your price triple, quadruple. They were numbering everything, limiting and shorting the market. Richard McWilliams and I, we, were there. we fought like dogs. That guy, I'm sure he would have killed me if he could. We were competing. But I put out good product. You know, he, he understood the business and he made the business better. He included people in the business. He was inclusive. He was tough. And I think that's that's part of leadership that we need in, in the collectible business. And uh, I'm going to do my part on eBay Live. I'm going to do my part with the ability to give people a chance if they change their mind about what they've collected on star stock that they could trade buy and, and move things around a little bit in a fair, very uh, controlled environment, which is important. Well, that I went on a roll there. I'm sorry, man. Oh, no, I love it. I am I love listening to it. I love hearing all your, your advice and input and in, in all your experience from over the years. So let's just say like I'm new today and I want to get involved with, with sports cards. Like what is Brandon Steiner telling me today to do? Well, I, I'm telling you, first of all, it's not buyer beware, but buyer be careful. You know, for me, I get into some common stuff. You know, I like you know, some of these young kids, a lot of my you know college cards coming out, a lot of rookie cards, you know, they're coming out while the kids are in the minors. I grab a lot of that. I'm not going to go bet the farm right now and start investing all kinds of money and things until I get myself warmed up to really understand the market, which has got really, really wide. And there's a lot of sharks and a lot of people in it. So you got to be careful on these breaks and everything. And I, I go in and I start messing around with younger players. See, you know, hopefully more of them work out than others. And, and I always say, collect what you love. Collect the teams and the players you got a good feeling about. So at least you're enjoying this player either blowing up or this player completely disappointing. You know what I mean? Like, enjoy that whole process. We I mean, have fun. But without, you know, basically, you know, risking your whole college education. But, you know, and, and that's how I look at it. Like, you know, I, 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 my card collection, I collected very innocently during the virus that went over it. And, and to be honest, I had a bunch of cards that, that sucked. And then I found some jams. I found a Brady rookie. I found a Drew Brees rookie. I found a whole set of Primo Gujabar 69. You know, that whole set that, that did well by me. You know, so, you, you know, it, to me, I think, you know, the business is still supposed to be a hobby. So collect with a little love and, and a little fun, not everything to be so... I think when you get into this kind of thing and it's all about the money, that if that's the case, then you got to go to school and take your time buying and, and, and actually speed up the learning process. If you can have, just have some fun with it, then my recommendation is buy low, get some younger players, see where it takes you. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, advice for yeah. this common age. But you think these guys on Wall Street and some of these wealthy people doing that? No. No, I don't think they're doing like the... I don't think they're doing the Bowman firsts and stuff, you know, like, and, and I don't think they're doing their minor league deep dives, you know, where yeah. uh, some people like to do. But I, I, that kind of led me to a, an interesting thing. Do you see the star stock being valuable to somebody like, I, I was explaining this to her last night, like, why would I use your service? And I was sort of outlining a scenario where I had a stack maybe of graded Ellie De La Cruz first Bowmans. And I, I just wanted to have them in a safe place 
so that when he broke into the majors, like last year, for example, or, or you could maybe even use Jackson Holiday this year as like an example with the Orioles because he's probably going to get called up or start the season. But when these young players do break, it seems like that's their hot point. And all of a sudden, you have a platform now where all the cards are in one place and ready to go on sale the minute you decide to put them on sale. And and so the minute that that player gets called up to the majors or makes their debut is, is one of the hottest points to sell and you know, I felt like your site was was actually going to help enable people to maybe do that in a centralized location can you maybe explain or talk about am I am I right in assuming that and yeah. is that how you see that work I think, I think your wife would probably appreciate you not going to the mailbox you know eight days in a row shipping out this new hot card you got then getting the phone call this is a customer service issue when the cards could be in our ball with a click and a bit with shipping back or around now, listen, if you're a uh, modest card collector, you see with maybe 50 or 100 cards, maybe all the on them, you're playing around, you sell, maybe you don't. But when you're actually moving cards, which people aren't at, I mean, it's not crazy for people who are sitting with a couple thousand cards, hundreds and hundreds of cards. So, like, you want them all over the house, and then when things start popping, now you first got to take those cards, ship them, track them, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't make sense. So the whole thing really makes sense. And now where we're going to be taking rock parts, that's going to even make it even better because that's even annoying, more annoying to, 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 at least to my wife. Kids, the cards out of my house, they're everywhere. And I get it. I had, we had so many cards all over the freaking place. You can't imagine, but you know, it was kind of part of our growing up with my kids. We opened up boxes and boxes and cases of cards. We have no idea what we had. So I had to go over the whole house, look through thousands of cards to find the gems. But really now I have my cards at all and I don't have to worry about this anymore. And I can quickly go on the website, change the price, alter it. But all of a sudden, my guy hits four runs in his opening debut. So I, I like our, I like our, I don't see, you see the history of the card. You can see the service that Starstock provides. I, I like our chances to rebound and do what the customers need. I'm not trying to go rate the customers and give them, you know, oh, we're going to grade your card. No, we're not going to grade it because he's saying back, I mean, they're too dominant. I'm pissed at them because they're charging too much money and they should, they should be lower priced. At the end of the day, at least I can guide you to whether you should go do that or not, or you can use my simple grading to at least know what kind of like around what card you have, and then decide whether to grade them or not. I think the services and the honesty and the getting the card signed, the vault, I think Star Stock will be a really good it'll be it'll be a good site that provide a lot of help. I think the last thing on my eBay live show, nobody wants to admit this shit. Now you've been doing this a while, but there's a lot of wealthy people that are pretty substantially involved with cards. Who do you ask a question to? Who can you say you think that's a good idea? Nobody. I mean, we're going to give me an honest answer, an objective answer, not an answer that can help them with, with their authentication, their grading, or their card company. So I think what I'm going to do, and, and I hope to do, between eBay Live and Starstock, when I do these live streams, is just be able to do Q&As with experts so people get the honest truth because I don't have all the answers. But there's a lot of confusion around this one of one, how many actual rookie cards there actually are for certain players, which is the right ones. I'm not going to be the end all opinion, but I'm going to go find some of the really knowledgeable, trustworthy people that aren't tied in and biased to give these answers. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I like honesty in this business and transparency. It's real. I mean, it's how I mean, I mean, you're not around as long as I'm around and people. At the end of the day, I don't need to do that. What people count on me at Steiner and now at Collective Exchange would start. They counted me to tell them the truth, even when it hurts. Okay, well, we're running out of time, but really quick, before we let you go, uh, I want to know, and I want you to tell our listeners, what was the worst sports card investment or, or purchase you ever made in your whole life? 
Well, I don't say what happened. I, I'm not. I haven't made that many bad ones. So I guess I'm not that kind of trading card buyer. But I lost my mind. It was the mid '90s when the Shaq Upper Deck Redemption card came out? So when I drive from Florida to California, it seems flat to me. I had no start. I was eating the gummies before gummies existed, and I'm thinking, shit, I got this. I love this guy. The Upper Deck's gonna be the card. So I go around and I buy. 900 of these, 900 stack worth of cards. Now, the truth of the matter is I bought them for around six and nine dollars, and they are worth, I think, around 30 now. So, they, uh, 25, 30, 35 bucks. And then some of them were actually graded pretty high, and they haven't worked with Shaq. I don't autograph a bunch of them, which I definitely got at least a bunch of my money back. But I used to give them out as a Bob Mitzvah gift. These are Shaq rookie cards. This guy's going to be great. I mean, I'm doing this like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. But I'm still sitting with, I think, about five, four, five hundred of them. I'm not sure where those are going. I mean, not firewood, but they're not like flying off the shelf. But that was probably my worst thing. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I really don't know. But it was, you know, I was having fun with it. I thought I was being cute, you know, like I, I kept one of the cards unstamped, you know, like yeah. the redemption. I thought I was being really cute. Like, oh, no one's going to save this. Yeah. I got them. I got them. But that's really fun. I mean, my wife was like, you I was like seven or eight thousand dollars on Shaq rookie cards, and that, at that time, money was that was real. But I was like, you know, I just felt it, and I, I don't feel like I've guessed wrong too many times with some of the things I've done over the years with players and stuff. But the trading cards uh, that was yeah, that was like top of the list. Okay, all right. Well, I want you to uh, please tell our listeners where they can find everything about you and your businesses that you want to share. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm a big LinkedIn guy, so you could, you know, I'm over the limit. Follow me and message me if you have any questions. I answer them all. So, you know, and, and if, if, even if you tell me something I don't want to hear, bring it. I don't, I don't want to either run away from negative feedback or criticism, particularly about Star Stop. And then, you know, I'm on Facebook. I put out content two or three times a day. And if you, any speaking of my books, I'm writing a fourth book, by the way, but Get any of my three books for free on collectibleexchange.com. So we just, I think you should pay for the shipping. And then uh, you need any information about me, brandonsteiner.com. If you need me for a speech or anything like that, I'm, I've been speaking around the country the last 10 years. So that's always there if you need it. But go get the book, one of my three books. I think you enjoy it. You got to have balls, living on purpose. The business playbook is on uh, collectibleexchange.com. And if you have anything to sell, if you're an elf, you liquidate. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Any other parting words of wisdom before you bid you adieu on this Friday afternoon? Yeah, be safe out there. And I don't think there's any shortcuts here anymore. Do you know how you collect other than, you know, take your time, do the work, and have fun with it. That thing's supposed to be fun. So make sure you have fun with it as a, as a common denominator. If you're not, then this is still a business, but it's still a hobby. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brandon, and uh, we'll be sure to let everyone know about the show. And uh, of course, we'll be sending it out to to John, and and hopefully he'll get it over to you. And we'll have a first live platform show next week. Is that correct? Yeah, next Saturday and Sunday, almost all day, eBay Live. I'd be curious to see if you're out there listening, you know, the feedback on the show. I'm, yeah, so I won't disappoint, and hopefully you'll be... I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that our collectors and fans are, are going to get some real value out of it. I'm going to stop by and check it out. Yeah. Great. All right. See you next week. See you soon. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right. Well, once again, special shout out and thank you to Brandon Steiner for joining us. That was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed that. What about you, Nika? Perfect. I learned a lot about collectibles. Yeah, for once. You were paying attention. When I talk about them, she doesn't want to listen. Well, I feel like I'm boring her at least. Um, all right. Well, that was awesome. Really appreciate that. And you know, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Kanika Baseball Podcast. But uh, before we get out of here, just a couple of quick notes. We are going to be aggressively 
advertising our show online. So if you see some posts, if you see some uh, what I call digital billboards of us uh, talking and airing some of our thoughts out there, please share them with the baseball community uh, at large. Please go on Apple and Spotify and like like our podcast and subscribe. That would be awesome and really help us out a lot. And yeah, if you know anyone else that wants to be a guest on a baseball podcast or has something interesting to contribute to the world of baseball conversation, we'd love to have them on our show and talk with them. All right, Nika, do you have any other notes for this week for our listeners? Well, today's a uh, weekend of NFL championship, so enjoy football. Absolutely. Uh, I'm ready for some football. Thanks for reminding everyone before we get out of here. Who do you like to go to the Super Bowl? The Bears. The Bears. The Bears. That's a shame. I hope it's the Lions. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a Bears fan my whole life, tried and true. I bleed orange and blue, but I am bleeding a different shade of blue this year. Uh, I really hope the Lions can go to the dance at mm-hmm. least I, I think it would be cool for the city of detroit to at least get to have that super bowl appearance yeah. you know it'll be great even though what happened with their quarterbacks and stuff well yeah and that's the other beautiful story of this that's kind of in the in the making mm-hmm. it's in the works you know is that like la and detroit famously before last season i believe yes two years ago did quarterback like swap that. you know they, they they traded starting quarterbacks which is kind of a rare thing these days mm-hmm. when it comes to nfl so the fact that I think L.A. was looked at, they went to the Super Bowl last year, right? Yes. With Stafford. Mm -hmm. This year, the Lions beat them in the earlier round, and then they beat Tampa Bay last week, and now they head to San Francisco. So, yeah, that's an interesting matchup because, like, San Francisco doesn't have the Mahomes name, like, quarterback there. So, yeah, Detroit's going to have to pull a rabbit out of the hat to win one on the road. It's going to be a tough game. Sure. And then over in the AFC, we have the Chiefs. Once again, it's Mahomes. And uh, the Ravens, though, because, oh, man, I'm going to be blanking. Jackson, right? Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Jackson. He's Something a, else. Yeah, he's, he's a great He's what the Bears wish Justin Fields actually was. Well, this isn't a Bears podcast, so I'm not going to say anything. And that's going to do it for this episode. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, on that note, and uh, and I joke, but uh, on that note, we are going to get out of here and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody, depending on when you're catching this episode. And we will talk with you again next week. Spring training. Let's go Lions. Let's go Lions. Unleash the Lions. you need.